Welcome to the Chicago Home Partner Podcast. I'm Amanda McMillan. Along with my co-host, Samuel Shahan, we discuss the Chicago real estate market. Our goal is to educate you on what's actually happening out there and how it impacts your real estate goals. Okay, we are back at it. Episode nine, and there are so many things that I am so excited about. First and foremost, we are on location at a fabulous new listing. Can't wait to tell you more. Secondarily, you might notice Samuel's not sitting next to me or Samuel looks very different. We've got a guest today. First and foremost, Samuel, where is he? He is doing awesome, awesome, amazing things on the other side of the country. Samuel this week is doing an Ironman in the Canary Islands. Go Samuel, I'm so proud of him. His dedication to that is just top notch. I miss him dearly, but I'm so excited to welcome our guest today. Our guest today, some of you guys might already recognize her, Miss Connie Dornan. Connie and I go way back. Way back. We go back almost two decades. Mm-hmm. I-, I often refer to her as my North Shore counterpart. Yep. Sometimes as a twin. Sometimes. I'm the younger version. She's a little more politically correct than I am. <laughs> Anyways, Connie is joining us. She made the trek in from the North Shore. Thank you. You're welcome. I was stuck in traffic for a long time, and then I had to find parking. You don't have to fight for parking in the suburbs this much. (laughs) So Connie's joining us. Um, We thought it would be great for everyone to hear a little bit of a different perspective coming at us from a real estate perspective, but doing it in the suburbs, right? We talk a lot about our clients that are considering all the options within Chicago. We wanted to bring in a voice that we trust. Now, as I said, Connie and I go back close to two decades. She has helped probably hundreds, thousands. She exaggerates a little bit too, but at least hundreds of Chicago home partner clients as they navigate a transition into the North Shore and vice versa. And vice versa. A lot of my clients that have been living in the North Shore have raised their kids, their kids have moved off. Some of them have migrated back into the city. And of course, I refer over to the lovely Amanda. Absolutely. So Connie, Hmm. give me a little bit of background on you outside of what I can just talk about in terms of bragging how you are, in my opinion, one of the best agents on the North Shore. Well, you know, the feeling is mutual. And definitely, you're like my Irish-Jewish twin <laughs> in Chicago. And you're a Greek twin in the suburbs. Did you just call me a mutt? I did. I did. You got a problem with that? No, nope. Millen? Not at all. Well, in the North Shore, it's a completely different story than it is in the city. I mean, and then even just driving in today, looking for parking and the type of buildings and the architecture and... Everything about it is apples and oranges. So it really depends what you're looking for and what you want out of life. You know, I'm not saying that the city is better or the suburbs are better. Of course, my personal preference is the suburbs because I don't have to worry about parking. So, you know, but it's different for everybody. For certain. So how long have you been in real estate? Nearly 20 years. Yeah. It goes quickly, doesn't it? It it does. It seems like yesterday. Fantastic. Yeah. And I wish... I knew then what I know now. You know, I probably would have taken more risks for myself personally in real estate. Sure. But, you know, that's what happens. Right? Isn't that true for life? Not not necessarily just real estate. In life in general, we, we, hindsight is twenty twenty. Exactly. So before we jump into some great questions that people have sent in, what have you been up to? 
getting ready for the summer season with my clients. Uh, some clients are getting ready for the spring season. So we're getting all those outdoor pictures ready and landscaping and tarting up the house and making any repairs, uh, getting ready for the spring season. I still have a lot of buyers that didn't get something in the first two quarters of this year. So we're looking at really attacking the third and fourth quarter of this year, defining something, and I think we're gonna get some deals. Nice. Now here's a hard question for you, and I can say it's a hard question because I know you, and I know the idea of free time is not a word that you associate well with. What have you been doing in your free time? Uh, hmm. It's like the first two quarters of real estate. I mean, you don't have free time this time of year. My free time is like at the latter part of the year. And I'm absolutely fine with that. I mean, I thrive. I, this is what gives me energy and happiness is doing what I do every day. No, as, as you and I both always say, if you're going to work at the capacity and the level and the hours that we do, mm -hmm. you have to love what you do. Exactly. Exactly. What do you do for free time? What do I do for free time? Well, as you know, I got two little girls that are running me ragged. I just don't sleep. It's what I do. She's a vampire. There's, there's a small amount of time that I go into my casket to recharge and yeah. come forth the next day. Um, so the school year is coming to an end for the girls. So that's awesome. been very exciting. There've been Good. a few extra field trips. There've been Good. a few extra outings. As you know, we have a farm. We got out there for right. about 36 hours on Memorial Day, which was a ton of fun to Wonderful. disconnect from this work and plug into some good manual labor. Oh, my girl. I really enjoy that. I love the manual, that, that physical thing of going out there and pulling weeds and clearing. Cleared. Yeah, I, I you love You let it. us know when. Oh, sure. Um, so we were out there for Memorial Day for 36 hours. My girls were in a toad catching contest. Um, that was a little bit more preferable to me than the last time we were out there when they were in a gardener snake catching contest. Oh, yeah. Um, but I love the fact that they're getting dirty and being That's kids. awesome. That's awesome. Well, which reminds me, I am doing something this summer. I am going to London. Uh, first and foremost, it's going to see the in-laws. I am going to see the in-laws. But really, I'm going to go see Blur. I'm so excited at Wembley Stadium. So, yeah, I'm going to London. Amazing. Yeah. That's a that's a fantastic trip for certain. Um, and I'm glad to hear that you, even though I know you, are going to be totally connected to your phone for 22 hours of the day. I do my best business when I'm on vacation. I, I'm always selling a house. It, there, there is truth in that. And it's we, fun. There is truth in that. And, and as you and I always talk about, there is some flexibility in what we do. As I joke with younger, newer agents, yes, we can be flexible, but it's around the flexibility of all of everything else we're doing. Too true. Before we jump into questions as well, we have the ability to be on location again. Yep. And this is a gorgeous place. We are in one of my favorite condo buildings in the city, 2550 North Lakeview. This building was built, I'm going to screw up the years now. Uh, let me see. They started construction around 2010. They delivered between 2013 and 2015. At that time, this was the first building to be built on this stretch of Lakeshore Drive in 35 years. Wow. And when they did it, they hit it out of the park. Wow. It's gorgeous. I walked into the front, you know, well, I call a foyer. What do you call those things? A lobby. A lobby. It's a lobby. It's a lobby. Uh, there in. is door staff down there, too. I know. There was. Marvin. Yeah. Really nice guy. I walked in and it was just spectacular. I thought I was walking into a very fancy hotel. For certain. I mean, the amenities here are world-class. The staff is impeccable. The views are absolutely to die for. You know, what's interesting to me is that this building essentially came to be during the housing crisis. The timing was awful. 
And yet still, despite every adversity, they really kicked it out of the park. Oh, wow. I mean, and, I, and look at the finishes in this place are just truly spectacular. Yeah, this particular unit, our client uses uh, as a little bit more of an in-town. Okay. Um, so it's one of the smaller units in the building. It's a one bedroom, one bath. You're east facing, which is the preferred side. And you're in the south tier, which is going to be a little bit more of the preferred tier as well. The It's a smaller tier, less mm -hmm. units on each floor. Yeah, so it's, it's one of those things. That, and we're really excited to get it back on the market for him. This has been a very, very long time client that we've worked with for a very long oh. time, which is always those, those. I mean, we love all of our clients. Okay. The ones that we have two decades worth of uh, relationships with always uh, are very exciting for us. Okay, well, we have a lot of great questions that okay. have come in over the last month. Let's do it. Um, very much appreciate it. And just as a reminder, if anybody wants to send in more questions, we love hearing from you so that we can make sure we're hitting on things that are important to people. And what I love is that most of these things, right, we're going to get two very different perspectives today. Completely. Even though we're twinsies. <laughs> it's kind of like oil and vinegar. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to start us off. Then this one really excites me because I'm very curious to what, what you have to okay. say on the top. All right. Older homes versus new construction. What's your preference? Are you asking me personally or regarding like a client? I mean, give me some intel. Both. The dance floor is yours. Well, I mean, define older, right? I, I'm a huge fan for uh, mid-century modern homes. And I love Southern California type ranch sprawling homes, uh, which we don't get a lot of here in Illinois. For sure. They're kind of few and far between. So those tend to be older. So I guess I kind of like older, but with more modern amenities in them, uh, personally speaking. However, for my clients, it really depends on their personality. So I'll get some clients that are asking for this, that, and the other. And it's a blend of getting the location plus the house. And all those, and so sometimes it might be something that's older, it's vintage, or maybe something that's more new construction. It just varies. I could understand that. Yeah. So for me, if I'm going to compare older homes to new constructions, um, personally, I should probably mention I live in a 135 year old home. So how's the plumbing? It's new. Okay, great. Um, you know, I agree with you on both stances in the sense that if I have to pick a home for myself, I love older construction. What do I love about older construction? A few different things, especially in the city where we're on smaller lots, an older construction preserves a larger footprint. So where our new construction, if we tear something down on a 25 by 125 lot and we rebuild that, you're going to have a smaller home. Got it. So that's huh. right on a big, big acre lot. That's not yeah. a big deal. But at right. our, where we're trying to, you know, five feet in our market is a big, big amount of deal. So you have right. a bigger footprint. It also tends to be a little bit more interesting. Mm. So I like the interesting, I like the charm, I like some of the older aspects, but I like them on a more restored level. So if I could really curtail that question to be exactly what I like from a personal level, I like an older home that's been gutted down to the studs and, and retrofitted with all new parts. Now, from a professional perspective, I would probably say, I don't know if it's my preference, but I sell a lot more new construction than I sell older homes because I think people have a preference for new construction. Now for me, when I'm selling new construction, and I'll be interested to hear what you have to say on this, when I sell new construction, one of the things that I prefer, I'd rather sell something that's one to five years old than brand new because that new construction comes with responsibilities. It comes with working through the kinks, the best of developers, everything has to go through that. Um, so if I could sell something that's one to five years old, 
somebody else has done that, somebody is going to come in and enjoy what I call the glory years of the new construction. Uh, so when you're saying that you prefer one to five years, is it because of when you're getting new construction may not come with all the window treatments? It may not have a lot of like the other dressings in it. Is it is that the reason and part somebody else has spent the money to do that? Well, I think it's twofold. I think it's part the fact that somebody else, it's expensive. When you buy a new construction house, yeah. if you're then going to go outfit it, you've got closets sometimes, window treatments, audio visual. Mm -hmm. You've got a lot of money to put into a house right off the bat. Right. So that's part of it. But on the flip side, there's a reason that there's a one-year developer warranty. There's kinks. There's things that might leak. There's things that might not work. There's mm -hmm. settlement that's going to happen. That building is is finding its footing, as I say. Mm -hmm. And so from I, that perspective. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I do see that in a slightly different perspective. When someone is buying a new construction home, they're looking at this house and let's say they're spending anywhere from, you know, 1.5 million up to, you know, 10 million, whatever it is up in the, in the North Shore. Uh, they're their trajectory is really to live in that home for at least 10 to 20 years. That's going to be like their final resting place, so to speak, uh, for most people that are moving up to the shore. My view is make the house of your dreams. Get those window treatments that you want that's going to match your decorating, the AV system that you want, maybe, you know, or even if you get it like semi-custom construction, maybe what, like 11 zones in the house for heating and cooling. You know, everybody's got their own thing, you know, their own type of electronics, their own footprint to make it their own and give it their own flair. The same way that older homes will have that charm, you will put your own charm into it. So buying, an, uh, let's say, any contractor type of build, like a spec construction, right? So with the spec construction, a contractor is pretty much going to put in the average seven and a half inch baseboard and maybe a five to seven inch crown molding. But maybe you don't want crown molding because you want super modern. And maybe you don't want that shaker white cabinet because you want something completely different, something more uh, traditional or modern, whatever your style is. You have that opportunity to create your own. And when you buy something that's one to five years old, yeah, a lot of the kinks are out of the way of, you know, nail pops and things like that of that nature. But I I think you sometimes have to redo some things like the light fixtures and sure. you're still spending money, maybe not up front right away, but over the course of your home ownership. You no, know that and I think that brings forth a great point. I would think that a lot of your buyers probably are at a longer term yeah. than a lot of mine. Right, right. Oh, you know, when you yeah. think about, even when I include new construction, we're talking about condos. People live in condos for about three to six years. Mm -hmm. So that's where we kind of talk about, or even single family homes. I'd say in the city, we see more of a an eight to 11 year span in a single family home before people are right. grading up or right. moving different or something like that. So we see right. a lot more transition. Got it. We move and chase a little bit more. Interesting. So it sounds like we've got a little bit of a split decision, but yeah. ultimately the same. Yeah. We like some of the character of the old. I definitely do. But we both want modernized in the end. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I did. Updated plumbing. I did own an older home. My first home was built in the 1940s. Uh, I loved that house that had a fantastic screen porch. I just loved a great location too, walkable, the whole thing. But it was an older home. So older homes sometimes needs a little more love. But, but, hey, but listen, that can even happen in newer homes. And I'll give you an example. A new construction home. A uh, client was buying it from a developer. It was a major development uh, of over 75 homes. And there was a problem with the sewer. And now it was covered under the builder's warranty, thank God. Sure. 
but there's always something. Always something. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Okay, so what home maintenance should we be doing as we head into summer? Home maintenance is a topic that I think a lot of people turn a blind eye to, regardless of they where, where they live. It's not as fun as some of the other stuff, um, but it's very, very important. And good home maintenance will do two things. Number one, it'll elongate the lifespans of what you're working with, and it'll also keep you out of some of the trouble. So there's a couple different things that I try and keep more seasonal. First and foremost, cleaning your heating and cooling. There's a couple different ways that you can do it. First and foremost, you really should do it twice a year. Think cooling before the summer, heating before the fall. There's a few short months in that time period in which you can actually do both at the same time. You can't clean your, uh, your AC if it's too cool. So there is some times that you can do both, but cleaning and servicing your HVAC is one of those things that I would always recommend. And I feel like people really, really neglect. That is definitely gonna elongate that, that lifespan in there. We also talk a lot about making sure your gutters are clean, especially come rainy season, right? Clogged gutters are one of the reasons that people get water in their homes. And I think people mm -hmm. don't think about that. They think of things that are wrong with the building. They don't think of what we call water management. Clean gutters help for better water management. Water management takes the water away from the home. So really important. The other thing that, that I've been trying to bring as much awareness as possible to in the past few years is sewer maintenance. Not a sexy topic at all. But sewer like maintenance. Colonoscopy. Totally. Exactly. Good point. Colonoscopy, sewer maintenance, all the same. Um, sewer maintenance is something that I think gets very, very neglected. Even as professionals, we didn't pay as much attention to sewer scoping, right? It's something that we're doing now on most of our, most of our inspections, or at least we're recommending. But sewer maintenance, cleaning, rotting, making sure your sewer line is okay. The city actually has some really, really great programs for single family homes, townhomes, stuff like that, where they'll repair anything that's on their side of the street. Mm -hmm. sewer, sewer repairs can get very expensive. So trying to catch that stuff early, trying to make sure everything is clean, rotted. Um, so I would definitely put sewer maintenance in this there as well. Right. And, and back to the topic of the new construction, and I force this issue with my clients when they're buying new construction to still do a sewer inspection, even though it's got a brand new sewer line. A lot of times you're going to find there's construction debris uh, stuck, uh, stuck in there. In addition to that, I remember this one sewer inspection that I did. There were diapers in a brand new construction house. I think like one of the contractors brought his kid or something and shoved the diaper down the toilet. I have no idea. But there were diapers and masks, so I highly advise a sewer. But the other thing, I'm not sure, do you guys have sump pumps here in the city? We do. All right. I mean, the sump pump is crucial because especially, I think in August, we start getting those monsoon big thunderstorms and rains. You have to make sure that, that's the, that your sump pump is functioning right and proper. For certain. And spend the extra $300 and get a battery backup on it. Absolutely. So it's funny you mentioned that story about the sewer line. I'm, I'm like you. A sewer scope, it's a $250 inspection where they send a camera down and they scope the sewer line. A lot of times on newer construction, people will say to me, oh, it's a newer, it's newer line, newer this, I shouldn't do it. My philosophy is, is it's a small price to pay to make sure for the peace of mind. Absolutely. I had a client do it in a two-year-old house. The entire sewer line had actually sunk because of the grounding beneath it oh, wasn't no. saturated the right way. So they had to dig it all up and redo the entire line. Oh, thanks to the sellers and not to my client because of that $250 inspection. Mm -hmm. So when I recommend to do a sewer inspection, I think it's well worth it regardless of the age of the home. Totally agree with you. A thousand percent. And it's, a lot of times I have to force my clients to do it. They're like, no. I'm like, seriously, you're buying a house for $1.5 and you won't splurge $250. 
I, come on, get a peace of mind here. Yeah. And then we do it. And sometimes, not all the time, something is wrong. And like, oh, thank God we did it. I think that at least 20 to 30% of the time when we're doing it, something is coming up. It may be as simple as you really need to rod this. Do you guys do radon inspections in the city? So radon is something that we we do. We don't see a lot of high elevated radon levels in in the areas that I that I work in. So once again, it's kind of that conversation to say, hey, this is a little bit more for peace of mind. But I will say we have had a couple of tests that have popped up a little mm-hmm. bit higher from from time to time. Any other home maintenance tips that you guys do very specific to the summertime? What about pools? You guys have pools. Yeah, we do. And we don't have to share them like at a public place when we have a pool in the backyard. Shared pools come with friends. Yeah, you know what? That's okay. Sometimes you just need some downtime and alone time. You're talking to a germaphobe and you know that. Rest. <laughs> anyway, yes. So our maintenance in the suburbs would be your pool maintenance. You got to get the pool contractor to come out there, make sure, you know, the lines are all correct. And, and the other thing is your um, sprinkler system for your lawn. So you need to get the sprinkler system checked, plus your AC checked. Again, just like you with the gutters, uh, just like you with the sump pump. And and basically, a lot of your outdoor landscaping. I mean, you're, you're going to start inviting people over to your house. You're going to have that barbecue for Father's Day or Fourth of July. Get those weeds out of that lawn. You know, kind of spruce it up a little. Throw some mulch, plant some flowers, bring some brightness. And then when you come home from work, you see that you're actually really happy and proud to come to your house and excited and you want to entertain and sit outside and probably you are stepping into our next viewer's question oh so anyways just to wrap it up definitely some great maintenance i mean i always recommend to people put together a plan in the beginning of the year Mm. and if you don't want to put together a plan there are companies that will put together the plan for you and they will execute that for you. it's true you can uh actually pay you know maintenance Totally. To certain companies and they'll execute they'll all four pay. seasons. The other thing that's great to know, like, for example, a lot of times with heating and cooling, the heating and cooling companies are, are notorious for this. They will offer you a membership, mm-hmm. a couple of discounts here and there, discounts if you need work done. But the most important part of that is if you get to a point where you are in trouble and need help, because trust me, the AC only goes out in the hottest week of the year. When it's 102 and 90 percent humidity. They are going to prioritize you and get out there sooner. So it's it's usually a good membership to look into. But whether it's looking at your roof, looking at your HVAC, keeping your gutters clean, all of these companies will typically work with you. Mm-hmm. And we also in the city at least have some companies that will oversee all of that to make it really easy. Agreed. Convenient. Yeah. In the city. And the thing is, that if you can't afford to do that, you know, everything's up on YouTube. You can do this yourself. And it doesn't take hours upon thousands of hours, maybe just a couple of hours to do any one of these chores. And you can kind of... Make a plan for yourself. Put it on your Google calendar. And like today, on Saturday, I'm from 8 to 10. I'm going to clean gutters or like whatever you're going to do. So, and if you want like a complete maintenance list, well, you can email me. You can email Amanda. And we'll give you your complete maintenance list of what you need to be doing. Absolutely. Okay. So moving on, you were were cheating. You were moving ahead before. What are your best landscaping tips? Oh, well, you know, I got to think about weeds. They drive me insane. So, And oftentimes when I come home at night and I'll be on the phone with the client, I'm usually outside in the backyard pulling weeds out. I've got like a little knife for it too to really get in there. But weeds are my big thing. And I, I like things perfectly nice. You know, like, no. Yeah, I do. And I think that's the problem as us as real estate brokers that we are always accustomed to staging homes and telling people what to do and how to do it. 
And then I come home and I'm not living the way that I'm telling people to live or, or temporarily to live while we sell their home. And then it just gets me off my ground. So I, I like things just so. And guess what? I have three men in my house that don't like things just so. So that's a constant struggle. I have a couple of those varmints as well. Hmm. So here's a question for you, right? Because I think about your spaces in terms of landscaping. I'm trying to landscape my own little, small little chunk chunk in the city. How do you not get overwhelmed by looking at a big enough backyard and front yard and going, where do I even begin? Well, I mean, for some people like me, it's a stress reliever, right? So I go out there. It's that physical motion. Sometimes I don't have time to go over to the gym. So I'm out there, and that's a form of exercise in the way I look at it. Uh, for other people that just simply don't have the time, just kind of like you, your, your kids are little, you got to get them to bed, different kind of thing. I'm trying to keep my kids out of prison. Just joking. They're good boys. <laughs> so, uh, so for people that don't have the time, you have your landscaper, your landscaper will come and edge your lawn and trim it and make sure it's fertilized and all the other things that go into proper lawn maintenance and take out those weeds and make sure, you know, you can get uh, the weed killers that are completely organic and safe for children and pets, and they work very, very well. And the other thing you have to make sure is the carpenter bees. I'm not sure if you have carpenter bees in the city. We've got them out in the suburbs. Those are evil beings. So I don't, I don't know what carpenter bees are. Do they have a, a work down? Yes, the they saw. Yes, they, they do. Come to work ready uh -huh. to go. And big thick glasses. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so they dig into your shed or maybe into your fence. And they could really create havoc here. So sealing all the wood products, whether you've got like a, a, a you know, wood paneled outside or your fence or your, or your deck, you have to have it all sealed properly and painted and uh, power washed so you can kind of alleviate any wood boring insects like sure. carpenter bees. Ah, huh. yeah, interesting. Yeah. I still think that that feels very overwhelming. I look to what we landscape in the city. It's obviously very different, and we, we approach it very differently. Yeah. You know, we have people with small little balconies that want to do a lot of flower boxes. Yeah. Right? That's beautiful. Totally. And we yeah. see a lot of people doing herbs and tomatoes. I see tomatoes all over the condo yeah. buildings, which I love seeing them. They're kind of showing all over, and yeah. hopefully they're more successful than mine um, <laughs> from that perspective. My favorite tip for landscaping is, as you kind of referenced, hire somebody. I kill everything I try and grow, but I'm getting better. I've been working very hard on it for at least the last 20 years. Lives miracle grow. I use anything and everything. Everything. I try really hard. See, my problem is I forget to water it. If we're going to be completely transparent, I forget that. I usually do pretty good for about the first 60 days. And then I've created a routine. I get up extra early. I water everything. Last year, I had my best, my best flower boxes to date. And then I got busy and distracted and they didn't laugh. Amanda, so there's a very simple solution to this. Oh, yes? Yeah. They have like these drip hoses that you can have on a, on a timer. Oh, yeah. We have those too. And you can't manage that either? The stuff that's in the spots that have the drip hoses works great. But then we have a few other planters yeah. or raised hanging stuff that isn't on. But there's a solution to that too. They have these hoses that you can kind of connect and it'll go in there and they're invisible too. Well, then my landscaper is fired. Yes, I think you should. <laughs> Just don't hire me. <laughs> no, for certain. So, yeah, we yeah. see a lot. Obviously, we're looking more contained. Yeah. Right? We do a lot more contained stuff, like even in our backyard. So the big thing, I'm curious to see if this is a topic for you. Our backyard, we have 
a lot of planters in it, but we took off all of our grass and we put turf in. And oh. we put turf in because also we're on a big lot in the city. We're on a 36 by 125 lot, which is big, but it's a small little area. So in that small little area, if my dogs are running rampant and my kids are running rampant, that dirt doesn't doesn't produce grass. Are you talking like AstroTurf, like people put like in their pickup trucks that I see like down the south? Is that what we're talking about? Something like that, but I think it's a little elevated. And I think most people, if you go to a lot of the very high-end houses in the city, I think you would be surprised that the quality of turf is so fantastic. The maintenance is low. It looks amazing. They even have it now that it comes up and it has little dead pieces of grass in it so that it looks real. We don't have that in the suburbs unless you have like a little putting green in the backyard. That's the only time you're going to see AstroTurf. Is so it called AstroTurf? Well, we call it turf. Uh, just turf? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm so old-fashioned. So anyways, it's a big deal. I've probably sold more turf in the city than, than I don't even know because I, I so swear by it. Because when you're on smaller areas right. where the backyard is probably about the size of this room... If you think you put two dogs and two kids and they're running circles and playing sports, get it. I get it. It doesn't grow. So just a little separate conversation on that, just out of curiosity. Um, what is it made out of? I mean, is it okay for the environment? Totally. And it's it's got a drainage system underneath so the pets can actually lose it. Now, it's not inexpensive. It is right. not. It, it costs a pretty penny to get it, get it installed. Right. But I think it's well worth it. All right. Maybe that's my best landscaping tip. Go turf. Yeah, not in the suburbs, though. That would cost you more than a house in some aspect. Yeah. So I've got a question for you. I'm not sure how it is here in the city. Uh, I know out in the suburbs, we have no inventory. There's just no inventory, nothing to sell. So do you have the same problem in the, in the city? When can we expect more inventory? So at the beginning of every year, we go on the chopping block and we make predictions for the year. And then at the beginning of the next year, we go back and we grade ourselves on how we did. Inventory has been a topic of conversation since early in COVID. Mm -hmm. And it is one that we are perpetually failing at in terms of our predictions because we keep getting sucker punched. We came out this year at the beginning of the year and said, there will never be a point in time in which we have a lot of inventory this year. But we do believe that we're going to eke out a little bit more. Now, as you and I always talk about, the way we have to talk about real estate on something like this, like a podcast, is very surface level. That's a cardinal sin because one neighborhood, one type, one this is totally going to be different than something else. But as a vast generalization, especially in our, I'm going to talk about our urban neighborhoods where I spend the majority of my time, our inventory is down exponentially from last year, which was down from the year before, which was down from the year before, which was down from the year before. So we are continuing in this inventory crisis now i finally think we're getting past right in the beginning of the year there was a lot of the interest rate i don't want to give up my interest rate i'm going to stick it out in this home i'm going to keep this and rent it out and then buy a new home we had a lot of people not wanting to give up on the interest rate. i feel like people are finally starting to normalize and understand that the three to four percent interest rates that we talked about were not indicative of a healthy normal market I feel like people are starting to say, okay, I can get some homes on the market. Personally, our team has listed more in the last six weeks than we probably did in the first three months of the year. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is inventory is going to continue to be tougher than we expected for the rest of the year, in my opinion. Interesting. Uh, pretty much the same for the suburbs as well. Uh, just slightly different. So a couple of key points. 
our biggest issue in the suburbs are, are the golden handcuffs. This isn't that kind of show. No. <laughs> no, when I say about golden handcuffs, they're the people that are sitting on 2 and 3 and 4% oh. interest rates on their mortgages. That's the golden handcuff, and you just don't want to take them off because they're golden. So, but it's a lot of people are stuck. They want to move on. They want to downsize or they want to upsize and they're just stuck in their homes. They're like, well, if we go to this house and now we have a higher interest rate, what I think is going to happen in the last part of this year, I think we're going to see a little more inventory pop up on the market because in our, what I call our urban suburban areas, we've been dry since pre-pandemic. I'm starting to see signs and shifts. I think in the last part of this year, we're going to see a bit more inventory come up on the market. I think 2024 into 2025 are going to be a little healthier, more normal markets. I also think that the interest rates will fall. Yeah. And so, and this is what I recommend to my clients. I'm like, okay, fine. Right now you're sitting on a three or 4% interest rate and they're hovering near 7% right now, but you can refinance that. It will drop more than likely into the fives. Plus, we've got the election season coming along. And, if, and so they're, they're just bound to do this for the election season. I think it's going to get better for us. And for people that have, um, they weren't able to buy last year and they weren't able to buy in the first six months of this year, I feel pretty confident that they will in the third and fourth quarter of this year. What's interesting is a lot of the neighborhoods and the types that we sell in, inventory year over year has been down 30 to 40%, which is huge. Right. But I do agree with you that as we keep going into this year, I do think we're going to start to see what we had originally said at the beginning of the year. We're going to start to see some more stuff ink out. Right. We're never going to be rolling around in it this year. But I do hope that we're going to start to get a little bit more momentum to get back to some level of normalcy. It's been a long time since we've seen anything normal. I've kind of forgotten what normal is. I'm not sure how it was for you pre-pandemic, but I can tell you like in the early years of 20, let's say 2013, 2014, after the mortgage crisis ended and we started going into more normal real estate market, it was nice to go out with buyers and you're showing them a variety of different neighborhoods and maybe five or six houses in this neighborhood, five or six houses in that neighborhood. And you can get a feel of the different types of homes, the styles, the price points, the all the different things that make home and community and something that someone really wants to live in. So, and we haven't been able to do that since 2017. I can honestly say in 2017, I wasn't able to show six to eight homes in any particular community at one time. It was maybe three to four homes. And now it's maybe one to two homes. I'm able to show them. That's the whole, I mean, yeah. you hit the nail on the head. We've lost our ability to really educate our clients. Yes. Which stinks as people that work the way that you and I do. Right. In fact, now I say half of the education has to happen online because we're looking yeah. at stuff that's no longer available because it's sold too quickly. Yep. And then half of it, sometimes I have to take people to completely different neighborhoods and completely different price points just yeah. to say, this isn't the house you're going to buy. This isn't the house that the neighborhood you're going to live in. Yeah. But this is the type that if this comes up in your neighborhood, I think this is going to be a winner. Exactly. So we're having to get so creative because the inventory is, is tough. And it's hard. It's a hard market for our clients. It's we talked about good. it before. It's a hard market for us. It, and it's people are put on the spot with a lot of pressure. I'm a processor. I like to think things through. I'm the person that when I go to buy a car, mm -hmm. I want to know more about that car yeah. than the person selling it to me. 
Absolutely. And this is a market that kind of strips you from that. I mean, the good news is, is we have a tremendous amount of our clients have so much faith and trust in us, which you have to in this market. You have to trust who you're working with. If nothing else, if you don't take anything else from this podcast, whomever you're working with to buy a home in a market like this, trust them explicitly. If you have any fear, any doubt that they are not working in your best interest, get the heck out of there, figure it something out. Because this is a market you need to trust that person because they're navigating a little blindly on your behalf. Totally agree. Well said, Amanda. Okay, so inventory. It still stinks. Yeah. Um, But it will get better. But it will get better. Yeah, I'm optimistic about this. 24 into 25 is going to be spectacular for real estate. See, I'm going to take that a little bit. See, what I've noticed, and I think there's a big differential between the city and the suburbs on this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put myself in this boat when I say it. In the city, we tend to be overly sensitive in general. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. Especially when it comes to world events. We overthink the impact of world events because we're very ingrained in it. And so a presidential election, when we get closer to that election, it will paralyze our market. I've done this. This will be my sixth presidential election. And we see that that can absolutely have a negative impact. The actual election won't have an impact on it. What happens after the election has a very low chance of having impact. But what happens moving up to it? It's the overthinking. I call it the pause. Everything that we do before a big event whether it's interest rates going up, taxes going up, an election, anything big like that, we tend to over-dramatize it and create bigger issues. Okay, well, let's move on. Here's a, here's a good one. What are top items on buyer's list today? The kitchen and outdoor spaces. Does the kitchen come with a cook? Uh, no, I, my kitchen does. Mine does too. Yeah, uh, my cook's, uh, his name is Mr. Dornan. He's a very good cook. Yes, just like Mr. Dollinger. Except when he's not. <laughs> no, but kitchens uh, have always been very important in real estate. Kitchens and bathrooms, what sells a house. Uh, but I think like since COVID, people have taken a greater interest in the kitchen and cooking and baking and that sort of thing. So definitely they're looking for more higher end appliances and no more of the quartz countertops. They're veering into other materials. They're experimenting with different type of like concrete or quartzites or even back to granites uh, that have been honed or leathered, mm-hmm. different types of hardware and making this kitchen sexy again, not so utilitarian before and so stark. Um, so that's a big uh, trend. And then the other big trend that's been going on since the pandemic is the exterior living. Okay. People just love their outdoor space. They want to have their outdoor television and their patio. And I love that. So what about our home offices? Still a big topic for you? Home offices, yes. Uh, you know, still a big topic, but not as big as sure. it was in the last three years. I would say that that has dropped down to level three. Okay. Uh, but another big one for us in the suburbs is having that extra bedroom bathroom for in-law or nanny situation. I always recommend a very uncomfortable mattress in your guest suite. <laughs> You're always comfortable enough that they'll come for two to three nights. The back starts hurting. The trip is over. Or a nice hotel around the corner. That's a good idea, actually. So in the city, one of the things that we're really seeing right now is that people want things totally turnkey. Okay. They don't really want to do work. I think people are nervous to do work because what what did the pandemic do? It taught us that stuff got expensive, you know, labor shortages, supply chain issues, work got more expensive and took longer. So people are, I'm seeing, and this is probably related also to the shorter timelines, is that they're less likely to want to do any work 
They'd much rather do something a little bit more turnkey. They want to get in. They want to enjoy. They want to finance that work, so to say. Right. You know, it's that whole idea of do I do I buy a home and put twenty to fifty thousand dollars into it, or do I buy a home that's twenty to fifty thousand dollars more and finance it over thirty years? Economically, from a cost perspective, you know, a lot of people are we're seeing are going towards towards the the idea of financing that cost. It costs them a lot less in the grand scope of things. So we're seeing a lot of that. Home offices are still very, very big in the city. People are getting a little bit more creative with them now, though. I mm-hmm. will say before it was a very much a dedicated space. Now it can be a little bit more of a multifunctional space. I agree with the outdoor space is a, is a huge one for us as well um, as we're seeing that. Um, and I feel like I would say that our bigger buildings, which took kind of a little bit of a beating in, in the early part of the pandemic, people are really feeling better about being back in those as well. I want to touch on that about the home offices. One of the things that is happening in the suburbs, and I know here in the city as well, uh, for example, uh, a social club in the city that I belong to is Beyond. And I know that there are some places in the suburbs too. People are starting to get tired of working from home. Mm-hmm. They just don't want to do it anymore. And they certainly don't want to go in the office. They want to be in another space uh, that works for them. And there are clubs that have like dedicated office spaces um, I'm starting to see them like in even in coffee shops where they have, you know, this is like workstation areas for people. For certain. So I am seeing that trend. And yes, people do want turnkey. That has have been happening for about, I would say about 10 to 12 years. Okay. That I've been seeing like they just want turnkey, whether they're downsizing and moving into a house because they're coming from a dated house and everybody that came into their house like, oh my God, I have to redo the kitchen. So they're so tired of hearing that. Now they want the same thing. So turnkey, it, the quality of construction could be not that great. But if everything is just done, that house is going to sell like a hotcake. Yep. Not very, very true. Yeah. Okay. Here's a good one. Mm-hmm. What's your biggest real estate regret? I think about this often, and I know that you and I spoke about this not too long ago. Um, I regret not taking risks. Uh, especially in the early stages of my career. I could have taken some uh, real estate risks at the time that would have paid off 12 times over. But I was worried I about the market and how was the market going to perform. And I was reading those headlines. And I wasn't trusting my judgment and my own intuition. And I will not make that mistake again. Uh Keep in mind, though, you know, right now, a lot of people are discussing, oh, the housing market, the housing market is fine. It's perfectly healthy. We don't have any issues with the housing market other than we have no inventory, you know, and interest rate and inflation, uh, temporary thing, and it will correct itself. But uh, that's my biggest regret. No, it's it's very, very true. And I always remember uh, Steve Harney. Uh, he was the original founder of Keeping Current Matters, who's uh, kind of a real estate education and publication company. I remember back in 20, must have been about 2010, that he said, whatever you do, buy as much real estate as you possibly can. Yeah. That the market is on the verge of going to a really good, healthy space. Yeah. Now, for me, I can I can clearly define my, my biggest personal real estate regret. Um, it was back, I'm going to say, we've been in our house now for 17 years. Um, it was back in 2009. Let me set the stage for you. 2009 was not a very aspiring time to be in real estate. Yeah. I'd been in the business for about six to seven years. So I had had a very successful career at that point. Mm-hmm. But I was still scared to death when when all of the media and the news and everything came came to be. 
the home that was next to us was a teardown. Um, the gentleman that lived there had passed away. It was an estate sale. And we had the opportunity to buy the home for a very small amount of money mm -hmm. at that time, of course. And it was something that with the market conditions, I couldn't find the confidence to do. I right. couldn't. We were going to tear it down. We were going to just have a very big yard. And then somewhere in the future, we were going to figure out if we wanted to develop it, if we wanted to keep it as a yard, whatever we wanted to do, we were going to do something. But it was 2009 and I got nervous. Yeah. I got nervous because there was a lot of uncertainty. I got nervous because I didn't, as you said, trust my gut. Right. And I didn't buy that house. Right. The neighbor on the other side bought it. Needless to say, let's fast forward. 2009 to now. Since then, the house has been developed, sold to lovely clients of mine. Um, who have very much enjoyed, and they are getting relocated as we speak. I'm very sad about this. Um, but as we speak, they are getting relocated, and I just put that home under contract, multiple bids for about, I'll, let me do my math, 1,100% more than we could have bought it Holy for. Holy camoly. That's some, some good pocket change. It certainly is. So needless to say, maybe I should have trusted my gut. Maybe I should have figured out a little bit differently. We all get into that circumstance. We all end up in something in which we're, we're nervous about what's going on. And you know me, I always say, and this is, I wish I would have known more than that I know now, is to trust the data, to trust what we have, to align yourself with people that are going to look into these things to say, hey, if your plan is this, this is a no-go. This is not a good idea. But if your plan is this, this, or this, this is something that we should probably think a little bit harder on. Well, the thing is, if you take a look at the real estate data for the last 50 years, every 10 to 12 years in those 50 years, we have ups and downs, ups and downs. Sure. The thing is, you still have that brick and mortar. So let's talk about cryptocurrency for a second, right? Look at how crazy high crypto went. Is it going to go high? That Maybe it will. I don't know. It's not brick and mortar, right? It's not something that's tangible in your hands, touch, feel. And so we have historical data that real estate goes up, down, left, right, and center, but you always have it. And if you're going to keep a property long-term, it will pay off. Think about you're buying an investment property and you're renting it out. Maybe it's just covering the mortgage right now, but it's paying your mortgage, something that is going into your equity and it's paying it down. Uh, I currently own investment properties. I've had them for a very long time. That's what I believe. The short flips are different. The only time that you're going to make money on a flip is you're getting it at auction and you're doing the repairs or whatever, and then you're flipping it real quick. That's a different story. I'm I'm more of the mind of keep and hold. So then it's great. I always I always explain to people that you only lose money on a home if you have to sell. Mm -hmm. So I and I tell the story all the time. The house that we've been in, we bought in 2006 mm -hmm. at the peak of the bubble. I do like to clarify that Alan Greenspan was buying real estate that year as well. So the <laughs> smartest man in the country was buying real estate as well. So we bought a home and the absolute peak of the bubble. Mm -hmm. Fast forward three years. Our home lost about 35% of value. Mm -hmm. I would come home on a weekly basis and my husband would ask me, what's our home worth? <laughs> and my response was the same every time. It doesn't matter. And he'd say again, I just want to know what our home is worth. And my response, once again, was the same every time. You know, hundreds of real estate advisors, go ask one of them. And he said, no, you're my real estate advisor. I want to know what our home's worth. And I would say, it doesn't matter what our home is worth because we're not selling it. Our home was legitimately worth 35% less than what we paid for it. And as the person that knew that, 
that was a crappy feeling. But I also knew it didn't matter. Now, fast forward, our home has more than doubled in value. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter what it was at that one moment in time because I didn't need to sell it. Right. And that's part of the philosophy that I always bring forth with a lot of my real estate. Right. Keep yourself in a situation that you always have a plan B. So you and I are the same mindset on that. Uh, I often have clients, we're looking for a home. It's their forever home. And we're putting in a bid. And they're like, oh, well, I don't want to overpay for the house. Well, you're going to be here forever. There's nothing else to buy. Look at the comps. There's 20 offers on the table. Does it really matter at the end of the day? You're going to be here for 10, 15, 20 years. Think about the savings that you're having. What's the alternative to not buying a house? You're renting. So what are you building? You're not building any wealth by renting. Absolutely. But I, I do strongly encourage uh, my clients to become investors. And if they don't have to sell their house in order to move into another house, I do often tell them, hey, keep it. Keep it as a rental if you can. Sure. Why not? Yeah, and that obviously, that's a whole different conversation for a different day based off that. But I'll be the first person to tell anyone, and I know I've mentioned it on this podcast before, I overpaid for my house in 2006. I knew it at the time. I didn't love it, but I was okay with it. Now, fast forward 17 years for what my house is worth today, I really don't care. Yeah. So. Agreed. People say that I've over-improved my house. I don't care. I put in a very nice kitchen. I don't care. It's making you be happy. Investment in yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Now we're transitioning more and more of the investment side. Can we justify a second home purchase by renting it out short term? Yeah. Why not? So why not have a second home somewhere that you absolutely love? So say, for example, Door County. I love Door County, Wisconsin. I think it's absolutely stunning up there. It's beautiful. Um, So why not buy something up there? And then you go up there on whatever weekends you want or during the week and spend how much time you want. And then the rest of it just verbo it or Airbnb. And it covers the cost for the entire year. The second home slash vacation rental home is a, is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. I actually have a couple of these properties. Um, our original property was down in Florida. Most people know I've got a lot of my family that's down in Florida. We were spending, not that I get to see them a ton, but we were spending enough time and money when we're going down to visit. Mom's down there, dad's down there, sister's down there, uncles are down there, right? Everybody's down there. That I started to turn the wheels a little bit and say, hmm, there's got to be something that I can do that makes a little bit more financial sense. So back in 2017, we bought our initial property down in Florida. That was one that that over time we started to Airbnb and Verbo um, and have a tremendous amount of success with it. Now, we've talked about it before on the show. Doing these short-term rentals within the city is very, very difficult, especially because of condos. Right. In addition, the city is not the easiest to work with because of the licensing and everything like that. Now, that is a very important topic. No matter where you go, you do need to be appropriately licensed. The other thing that a lot of people don't think about is you need to have the appropriate insurance to keep yourself protected. You have one bad incident. You're not properly protected. That home's not held in, in the right way. You're going to be SOL big time. Yep. Um, so we started with the one in down in Florida. We have a farm out in Northwest Illinois as well that that one is is going to. Um, it's working within the community to get them up and running. But there's there is a lot of red tape. But once you can really figure it out, you're absolutely correct. You have something that you can use and you can enjoy, but you're also helping to cover the cost of it. And then 
just like any other any other investment vehicle right it's growing wealth you're building equity hopefully the neighborhood is doing well you know you hold those long enough for, uh, trust me we bought a home in florida in 2017 you want to know what's happened to that valuation throughout covid oh yeah that's all and that clearly i get calls every day for people to buy for ridiculous numbers now i won't sell it because if i want it again i'd have to reinvest in it right now the other school of thought that i would tell people to think about is it's a great idea but if it's a, something that Let's say somebody wants a home in Door County. Mm -hmm. If you want a home in Door County that you want to then short-term rental when you're not there, but you plan to be there for all of the good time of summer, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna earn what you want to earn. So there has to be some compromises in it for certain. So who's your favorite band, and what's in your playlist right now? Well, everyone knows that my favorite artist is Damon Albarn. And the bands are Gorillas, Blur, The Good, Bad, and Queen, and all sorts of other things that he does. And because the guy's just a genius. So uh, I said, I told you earlier that I'm going to the Blur concert in Wembley Stadium in London. And then I just got tickets for the Gorillas concert in September. Yay! So super excited about that. But I do listen to other artists, like, you know, Roxy Music, Brian Ferry, and Fatumata Diawara. Radiohead is a big favorite of mine as well. And uh, so playlists. I, hang on. I, I got some really good ones. Oh, let's see here. Uh, I still like, they're a little bit uh, of a 90s band or early 2000s, Coconut Records. I love Coconut Records. You guys know them? No. Uh, he's brilliant. He's great. Um, oh, and uh, Danger Mouse. Okay. You know Danger, Danger Mouse, Mouse, right? They're good. That's my playlist. Connie is way cooler than I am. I, and Dr. Dre. I mean, who does not like Dr. Dre? Dr. Dre is so much fun. And I know it's like this white suburban middle-aged mom <laughs> blasting Dr. Dre. <laughs> I, I do get some looks from people. I really don't care. I, oh, oh, by the way, Booty Brown just had his, la his latest release called Suddenly. You've got to listen to it. It is brilliant. Booty Brown. Booty Brown. You're going to love him. Fantastic stuff. I've never heard of Booty Brown. I mean, I got a six-year-old, so I could tell you what Booty Brown is, but for the love of God, you need to hang out with me a little more often. I'll show you the ropes, girlfriend. Okay, so my favorite band. Gosh, this is hard. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm incredibly influenced by music, but on a very eclectic level. Um, if you go in my car at any given time, what you will listen to is going to be the widest range. Um, I grew up, obviously, with a huge influence from Grateful Dead. So Dead and Company were actually taking the girls to their very first concert. It is the final tour of Dead and Company. So I'm going to be able to experience that with my girls. I'm very, very excited. I thought their final show was at Cornell just last month. My son went to that show. Well, then he got he got had. Oh, he got had. I, I grew up in the 90s, so Foo Fighters, Nirvana, Aerosmith. My girls are really into Motley Crue right now, too. So I'm having a reinvention of Motley Crue in my life. Uh, I've got young girls, so there's a there's a lot of Shakira. There's a lot of J-Lo. I think J-Lo is like, I love her. Are they listening to Bad Bunny? No. But the, I thought you were come up with these. Wait, things. you're saying Shakira? Obviously, there's listening to Bad Bunny. I saw Bad Bunny Coachella. Well, of course, I went to Coachella because the Gorillas were playing. So, so you wouldn't. Have, I, I, you wouldn't I saw have known Bad Bunny. Well, I did know Bad Bunny. Is that like Angry I did. Birds? No, it's not like Angry Birds. No. Okay. Anyway, so continuing on, I, I don't have a favorite. I love Jimi Hendrix. 
my favorite go-to band right now, mm -hmm. right? I can clarify that. If I'm going to get in and the one the one band that I put on that always is going to make me feel good is going to be Trampled by Turtles. Excuse me? Exactly. Go listen to them. They're is that fantastic. a Disney situation? Not at all. They're great. The other thing that I have to admit, I'm coming clean on camera. I love country music. I have been a closet country music listener for most of my life. Thanks to my best friend in college, you know who you are if you're listening to this, who forced me to listen to it again and again and again. So I do love country music as well. I've gone to country music concerts. My husband would not like to admit it. He enjoyed them as well, too. I like most forms of rap, except for some. I like classical. I like jazz. I like pop. I like everything. Trampled by Turtles is who I'm going to be listening to right now, though, if I had to pick one. So, girlfriend, um, I love all sorts of music. Uh, for example, classical, No Siems. That's one of my favorite pieces. Uh, Prelude in C-sharp minor. Love that. Uh, jazz, Sheila Horn. Oh, I love that woman. Uh, fantastic artist. Uh, however, the one part that you have lost me was at country. I have to reevaluate our friendship. Uh, you know how important music. I'm gonna share. Is. I'm gonna share a playlist with you. I'm. Gonna, uh, no, I know. I need to do that. Please don't keep it. Keep it. Share it with other people that will appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Last question. Yeah. We've touched on this a little bit throughout, but what can we expect in the second half of the year? It's gonna be bloody fantastic. Well, there you had it. Connie Dorden, bloody fantastic. She's prepping for her London tour. <laughs> I think the second half of the year is going to be, you know, in the city especially, we see seasonality start to kick in, right? So we're going to know that people are going to start to get distracted. Mm -hmm. The market is going to lose some of its intensity, mm -hmm. which where our sellers aren't going to feel as high and mighty, it's going to be a really, really good time for our buyers. Mm -hmm. As we talked about, I do think we're going to start to see a little bit more inventory start to ink in as well. So we're going to get a little bit more, a little bit more. Once again, our buyers who have felt a little bit beaten down over the last six months, their time is coming. I think it's going to be a little bit more favorable for them. That being said, because we don't have any inventory, our sellers, I still think, are going to do good. It's just going to be a little bit of a different momentum. I think that the prices are going to stabilize uh, a little bit more. Maybe in certain markets and certain types of homes might see some slight decreases. I don't expect them to be major decreases, uh, but I think there's going to be more stabilization. I think there's going to be more acceptance of current reality of where the economy is. I think we're going to see a bit more inventory and some of those people that are going to be in a position to purchase in the third and fourth quarter are going to do very, very well. Um, so I am very optimistic for the third and fourth quarter. I'm not going to, I'm not saying that it's going to be gangbuster activity. I am not saying that at all, but I think it's going to be, we're going to see a bit more sales than we have in the first and second quarter because of the lack of inventory. So are you saying that it might be a little bit more healthy? I think so. And I think what people should do is jump in their car from the Cité, play some Pevin Everett. He's coming up with a new album, by the way. And uh, come out to the suburbs. Give me a call. I'm going to show you around. We're going to have some fun. And we're going to find the perfect house for you. Awesome. Well, Connie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having now, me. Now, if people want to connect with you, mm -hmm. I know you have a podcast, Brokering Lifestyles. I sure do. So, because I'm just not selling a house. I'm selling a lifestyle. Um, also, Instagram tags. We'll make sure that everything is up so that people can find her. Obviously, I've trusted her for close to next to two decades. So this is this has been a true treasure for me. Amanda, you know that your 
she's kind of like my real estate sister, essentially. So I, I do have a sister, Joanna, and Amanda is my real estate sister. And I absolutely adore her. I trust you. And you know that you've done a fantastic job with my own clients coming into the city. Thank you. Until next time, Chicago. Until next time, North Shore.